Hello, welcome to the Grit and Grace podcast. I'm your host, Tanya from Texas. Whether you're a longtime listener or just joining me for the first time, I want to extend a warm Texas welcome to each and every one of you. Grit and Grace is more than just a podcast. It's a community for believers who find themselves in the midst of life's battles. Through this show, I aim to share inspiring stories from individuals who, like myself, have confronted and conquered issues such as addiction, recovery, trauma, abuse, and mental health challenges, and more. Together, we navigate the trials and tribulations of life, always with the goal of glorifying God. Because you see, it's not just our grit that sustains us in this world. It's His grace, and only His grace. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and that's what we're here to explore. In addition to these powerful testimonies, I have a passion for teaching God's word. So you can expect enlightening Bible studies as a regular part of our journey together. As a matter of fact, today's episode is going to be just that, a Bible study with yours truly, me, Tanya Bruton. I'm profoundly grateful for each and every one of you who tunes in, seeking inspiration, strength, and a deeper connection with your faith. I hope this episode finds you well, and without further ado, Let's dive into today's into today's discussion, which is on one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Romans chapter eight. I love God's word. For those of you who've never listened, when I study and teach God's word, I love God's word. I love the Bible. It's living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But when I say it's living and powerful, what I love about it is every time I read it, I get something new and something fresh a new and fresh revelation from the Lord because it is alive. I could have read the same verse before several times in my life, but the Lord will use that particular time in that instance, when you're reading his word to specifically speak to you about certain situations, it's living, it's powerful. So if you've read it again, keep reading it, reading it, read it again and again and again, because God will reveal something new and fresh to you each time. Memorizing God's word, I am a big, what is it, the word, proponent of memorizing God's word. I've heard, I've heard ministers, though, make comments, I don't care how much you can quote the scripture, if you can't live it, it's no good. Well, while that may be true, there is definitely, definitely nothing wrong with memorizing scripture. I love to memorize scripture. Remember back when we were in Sunday school and we used to have mem- Bible verses that we used to have to memorize from week to week? Why do you think that they did that? I mean, in the Old Testament, when when God gave Moses the law and he told he told Joshua, he told Moses and told Joshua to put the law in, in, our, in our hearts and to teach it to your children. So how do you get the word in your heart? You have to get it into your mind and into your memory. When I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had such a hunger for the word of God. I had such a deep, deep hunger for God's word. And I used to transcribe it by hand on notebook paper every day. I would read my scriptures and I would write it down by hand. Remember when you were in elementary school and you had to learn new spelling words? Well, what did they have you do? They had you write your spelling words usually like three times each or five times each because there is a 
I don't know the science behind it, but I know there is a science behind it. it there is, a, what is the word? Epistemology. There is a way that your brain is wired to where when you read a word, say the word banana, you read the word banana and, 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 and something in your word, something in your brain sees the B and then the A and then the N. And then when you, when, when your brain speaks to your arm and your hand to write the words in a certain way, then you're, then you're learning and, and you're mem memorizing it all over again. So I encourage you to get a journal out. And when you have your day, daily time with the Lord, whether you're just reading one verse, I mean, there were times, let me tell you, look, there were times when I was struggling in the Lord, when I was trying to get well and trying to get delivered and trying to get myself free from some, th from some things that I had got wrapped up in, that I could only read one sentence a day. Let me tell you. I had my husband move us up here and move us away from the town that I was in, from the wrong crowd that that I was tied up in. And when we got here, we didn't have any furniture in the house or anything. But I had my Bible and I had a sleeping bag. And every day I would sleep all day and I was just trying to just sleep it off. But I would roll over and wake up every day and I would read and write down one sentence from Ephesians 6 every day. Because I believe that what I'm getting the word in my eye is going through my eye and then it's going through my brain to read it. And then it's going through my hand and through my arm as I write it. And it's getting down in my heart and down in my soul and it's taking root. And because it's alive, it's going to manifest in my life. So I'm, I'm really, 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 really a strong proponent for not just reading your word, but memorizing your word so that you can quote your word and not to impress people, but to fight the enemy because we do have an enemy. So let's get into today's word. Today is from one, like I said, one of my favorite chapters. Like, So we're going to start in Romans 8 and let's just pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. Let us be cleansed by your word. Let us learn from your word. God, give me the words to speak. Give me the words to say and, and just bless everyone who hears this Bible study and takes it to heart in Jesus name. All right. So in Romans eight. Okay. So let's get this in a little bit of a context first. Romans eight in Romans seven and six, Paul's talking about how what he wants to do, he doesn't do. And what he doesn't want to do, he does do. He's talking about that war that we have within ourselves, right? We are born again. We have this new man living in us, this new spirit, this new life that wants to please God. But then we're still in a physical body that is controlled by the, the sin, the original sin, the fall of man. And it still wants to do things that are contrary to God's word. So what do we do with that? So let's, let me back it up just a couple of verses so you can hear what he's saying. So in, 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 in chapter seven verses, let's start with, we'll start with verse 21. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So he's saying on the inside, I want to do what God's law says. And then 23, but I see another law in my members talking about my body. Warring against the law in my mind. 
what I want to do, right? Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, which is in my body. So it's making me a slave to what my body wants to do. And he says in 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So it's making him miserable to be stuck like that. And then he says in 25, I thank God. So it, so, he's, he, so he's asking the question, who shall deliver me? But then he answers his own question. He says, I thank God, right, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with, with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 8. Now, of course, remember, in the original manuscript, there are no chapters. There are no verses. This is whole book of Romans is one long letter. So, but we use these as markers to let each other know where we're at. So let's start the study. Romans chapter 8. Here we go. There is therefore. Okay. So Paul's talking about this war within our bodies, within, our, within ourselves. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus, period. Period. I want to stop right there. Period. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, period. Now, are you in Christ Jesus? Have you been born again? Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? Do you believe Jesus is God manifested in the flesh? Do you believe that he died on a cross, an innocent man, as a sacrifice for our sins, and that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead? Do you believe that by faith? Do you accept his sacrifice for your sin in your life? Have you been born again? If so, then you're in Christ, period period, eternally, you're eternally in Christ, that's it, that's it, done, I could shut the book, I could shut the book, now, there is a part, what they call a part B to this verse, in the King James text, now, I was looking at this, and I heard or read that Mr. Charles Spurgeon, and who can argue with Mr. Charles Spurgeon, um, he says that part B is not in the original manuscript, it's not in the John MacArthur Bible either. And I forget which verse, I mean, which translation the John MacArthur Bible uses. But this part B who says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, is not normally known to be in the original text. Now, that could be neither here nor there, except for the fact that I want you to be careful how you read it. Because if you read, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. My earthly mind. Now, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you have an anointing from the Holy One and he'll teach you all things. So when you're reading the word, the Holy Spirit, he can teach you and help you to understand what things mean. Because your fleshly body can can tend to read that as a stipulation part b being a stipulation we want to make sure we don't read it that way we want to make sure that we don't understand this as there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ if you walk after the spirit and not after the flesh we got to make sure there's not a stipulation on the no condemnation part because our salvation does not hinge at all at any time or any place for any reason on anything at all that we do that we do or don't do we know this 
So it's not a stipulation. I think it's more of a descriptive wording. So this is how I read it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And then I would say it like this. Who are those that are in Christ Jesus? What does that look like? What do you mean being in Christ Jesus? What is that? Well, people who are in Christ tend to walk after, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I think he's describing what it's like to be in Christ. In Christ, we don't walk after the flesh. We walk after the spirit. Um, and it's, it's a walking after. It's a striving for. It's something we're striving for, to be after the spirit. I'm always looking after the things of the spirit. But our condemnation or not our, our the no condemnation part never, never changes. But Paul is going to go into a long description here of telling, showing us the differences. He's contrasting the differences of walking after the flesh and after the spirit. What does that look like? And how does each one benefit or not benefit us? What's the advantages or disadvantages of each? So let's get into it. Verse two. So for is a word that because. Because he's saying the reason that we tend to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh is because the law of the spirit of life, the spirit of life, the, this, is a, this is a law, which I find interesting. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So the, I have a freedom that I didn't used to have. He says in verse three, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh because the law was expecting you to do it in your flesh. Don't kill. Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your father and mother. But do this all in your flesh. Well, the law was weak, right? Through the flesh. None of that could be done through the flesh, right? God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So again, this who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit is another descriptive sentence. It's another descriptive phrase. He's not saying here that that the righteousness of the law might, be, might maybe be fulfilled in me if that word, that word who walk in this is not an if. So the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me if I walk after the flesh, but not after the spirit. Well, that depends on what hour of the day the Lord catches me in. So I've got to have faith in the eternal security, secure fact that in verse one, there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ now. I've been born again. And verse four, the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled in me. Now, I'm a person who walks not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, now that I'm delivered, set free, and the Lord's healing me and working in me, I'm walking after the spirit more and more and more every day. All right. So verse five, four. So one. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So when I'm fleshly minded, when I'm carnally minded, and I, that might be in here in this same chapter, but when I'm carnally minded, I'm constantly, all I'm ever thinking about is what's going to please my flesh. Can I do, uh, can I take some sort of substance that's going to numb me out? 
to where I don't have to think or feel any bad thoughts or good thoughts? What about eating a bunch of sweets and just being lazy all day and getting under the covers and watching a bunch of junk on TV? Um, you mind the things of the flesh, okay? But they that are after the spirit mind the things of the spirit. So if when I'm after the spirit, I'm always wanting to know what's God's will for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? What would the Lord have me do in this situation? What would the Lord have me say in this situation? How should I relate to this person? What about my prayer life? What about getting in the word? You mind the things of the spirit. You search after you search after the things. You seek think seek the things of the spirit, right? Six. And here's here's what I just quoted. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So what he's saying here, and I love this, verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. In other words, there's no kind of life to be lived in the carnal sense. Um, mainly what's coming to mind here is it's it the carnality is insatiable. Carnality is insatiable. I don't know if I'm wording that right. But there is a phenomenon of craving in our bodies that's never, ever satisfied. So to be carnally minded is death. You're never, ever going to please your flesh to the fullest. You're never going to come to some sort of satisfactory level of pleasing your flesh. It's And plus, the more that you feed the flesh, really, it's always destructive. I mean, even if you're just not, if you're not talking about drugs and alcohol or sexual promiscuity or pornography and how that damages you, we all know that damages your life and destroys your life in so many ways and brings death and destruction in so many ways. But even something as simple and what and, and something as you would as is seen as minor like overeating and eating sweets every day and too much salt and sweets just constantly overeating that's destructive and will bring death to your body diabetes heart disease will come to you so so anytime we're in the flesh and we're minding the things of the flesh it's going to bring death to us it may not be an immediate like you're dead physically dead but it doesn't bring any sort of life or fulfillment nothing carnal will so for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So that's the thing is when, when you're on drugs or you are, you're trying to, to find some sort of peace and happiness in any other way or by any other means, it's not going to happen. Life and peace only flows from the true source, which is God, the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who can give us life and peace. Seven, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity is, oh, I should have looked this up, against. It's against, right? Like, think of the word enemy, I guess. For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is neither subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Let's look at this. Neither indeed, oh, I scribbled in my Bible. Either and neither indeed can be. So he's saying, so he's saying the carnal mind, my carnal mind, my carnal mind that wants to be promiscuous and 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 do things and party and have all this crazy fun. What I guess what some your carnal mind would consider to be fun. All right. For one, it's not subject to the law of God. It's not going to submit itself to God's laws of its own volition, I would say. And then he says here, it can't. 
He said, neither indeed can be. So he's saying that even if the carnal mind was willing to subject itself to the law of God, it can't. So mm, I'm getting something right now as I'm reading this. I'm getting something right now as I'm reading this. What a freedom there. What a relief. Paul is giving us an out right there. He's saying, look, even if you wanted to. Wow, 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 wow. Hey, wow, you can um, look. That reminds me too of the scripture. <laughs> you can't worship God in the flesh. They that worship God must worship Him spirit and truth. For the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. It's not underneath God's reign. It's not underneath God's lordship, and neither indeed can be. So don't expect it to be. That's what Paul's saying. Give yourself a break, and submit to. The the law of where is it? Where is it here? The law of the spirit of life. Submit to the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus and stop trying to serve the Lord or even live a life in with your carnal mind because you're not going to be able to do it because the flesh cannot be subject to the to the law of God. All right. Verse eight. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Nine. But you are not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. So he's saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You're in the spirit. If the spirit of God dwells in you, you're in the spirit. It's not about what you're doing or not doing. It's not about if you said your prayers for 30 minutes or five minutes. It's not about if you read the whole chapter, if you just read the verse for that day. It's not about if you help somebody with their groceries or to that day. Okay. He's saying, if the spirit of God dwells in you, then you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. So, chill. I think that's what that means. Okay, so he says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Okay, 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of him that raised up jesus from the dead dwells in you and it does right when you were born again he that raised up christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive that's what quicken means bring to life your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you 12 therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh in other words i don't owe my flesh my carnality, this body, anything. I don't owe it any pleasures. It I don't owe it what it what it's asking for and what it's wanting and what it's demanding. I'm not a debtor to the flesh anymore. I used to be. I used to be a slave to it. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Right? So I'm no longer a debtor to the flesh to live after the flesh so verse 13 for if you live after the flesh you shall die but if you through the spirit do mortify or kill is what that means the deeds of the body you shall live so he's saying this is a very 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 important point through the spirit through the spirit like verse 13 if if you live after the, so he's saying if you live after the flesh you're going to die soon quickly but if you 
mortify or kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. But he, he makes sure to include through the spirit because remember the, the, the flesh isn't subject to the law of, of God and it can't be. It can't. Uh, the way it's the way it's created, the way it's made up, the fact that we turned over authority in this world to who's now the God of this world, Satan himself. It cannot be subject to the law of God. But so so how do we kill the deeds of the flesh then through the spirit? Paul says through the spirit, for if you live by the by the flesh, you shall die. But if through the spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. 14, I love this. I love this. 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. What a beautiful verse. 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again. Thank the Lord. What did I have before when I was tied up and messed up and all that? I had a spirit of bondage. I was a slave to sin and to my flesh. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Oh, I hated being wrapped up in all that fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So, thank God. 16, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, so I like this though, verse 16, the spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. So not only does the word tell me so, but his spirit that's living in me tells me so. It bears witness. It testifies, right? The word says there's, there's three that testify on earth and there's there's three that testify in heaven. That's, I believe, in 1 John 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, people want to forget that. People want to just mull over that. If so, be that we suffer with him. Wait a minute. Back up, back up, back up, back up. You mean, wait a minute. Once I get saved, my life ain't all rainbows and roses. Hold on. If so, be that we suffer with him. That way that we may also be glorified together. I'm cool with the glorifying, not with the suffering. Look, remember when I, okay, no, I, this was on something, another platform, but I was reading in Philippians 4.13. Very famous verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I was trying to make a point that that verse is so often taken out of context. It doesn't mean I can run a marathon because Christ gives me strength. Or I can jump over a big mountain or hill on a dirt bike because I'm like evil Knievel because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying I can suffer need. Paul said, I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. I know in whatever state I'm in, they're with to be content. I know how to have a lot and I know how to suffer need because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so I can suffer. I can suffer need if that if, if need be until the need is met because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's saying here, uh, he's talking about suffering again. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, a joint Heirs with Christ, if, uh-oh, so there's an if on that one. If so be that we suffer with him, mm, I'm stuck on that. I'm stuck on that. If so be that we suffer with him. If so be that we suffer with him. I'm just stuck on that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but so many people want to avoid suffering, and that's our flesh. That's our flesh. It's enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It's at war with us. 
It's at war with the Lord, right? And it does not, the last thing your flesh wants to do is suffer. The last thing my flesh wants to do is suffer in any way or shape or form. It doesn't want to be hungry. My flesh doesn't want to be tired. My flesh wants to be satisfied, touched, loved, and feeling good at all times. It does not want to suffer. But Christ suffered in this world. And he said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And then we're going to be glorified together. Bless God. Oh, this is this is coming in a perfect time. Thank you, Lord. Your word is ordered just perfectly. 18, for I reckon, mm, for I reckon, that's a country word, Paul. I reckon that's a hill. Well, I reckon it's going to come down a storm later. I see the cows are all laying down under the tree. I reckon we're going to get some rain. <laughs> he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. So there will be sufferings in this present time. But I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to even be compared with the glory of that shall be revealed in us. What a comfort. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature, that's us, waiteth for the manifestations, well, the creature, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. What's vanity? Meaninglessness. Meaninglessness. That's vanity. One of my favorite books in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, everything's vanity, vanity of vanities. Nothing means nothing nothing new under the sun we were made subject to vanity which is basically life after the fall is vanity really that's what solomon said there's nothing new under the sun everybody's killing everybody everybody's sinning against themselves against the lord against each other everybody's lying everybody's stealing everybody's hating you know we try to do good but it just doesn't work everything's just vain and just pointless and meaningless we, that's what we were made subject to. That's what, what we were made subject to at the fall. Not willingly, it says. Let me read verse 20 again. I always break up these verses for my little explanation. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. In other words, this was not idea, our idea at all, but God did it in hope, right? He had a hope when he did it. Because don't think that that fall was a complete accident that he didn't know anything about. Come on, guys. 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Okay, so we're about halfway through the chapter. I'm going to pause right here. This is something new, but I'm going to pause right here for just a little one minute. What is the word message from a friend of mine, Josie? Hello there, Josie here, your separation survival specialist. You know, life can throw you some unexpected curveballs like an unwanted separation, and it might make you feel like you're all alone, but you're not. Join me on my podcast, Heavy Pages, A Separation Journey, where we'll navigate these twists and turns together. It'll be like having a friend by your side who totally gets it. On our episodes, we explore real stories, expert insights, and practical tips to help you find your inner strength, rebuild your life, 
and discover a path forward filled with hope. It's all about rewriting your story, embracing change, and empowering you. So subscribe to the Heavy Pages on your favorite podcast app, and let's turn those pages of transformation together. I can't wait to connect with you. And we're back. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves. <laughs> have you ever done that? I mean, have you ever just all you could do? You couldn't pray. You couldn't even get the words out. All you could do is just just groan within yourself, just groan just within yourself. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, the first fruits of the spirit. Mm, that's another thing. That's another thing. Why is he saying that? Why does he just throw that in there? Well, back up, back up, back up. The first fruits of the spirit, basically, well, in a nutshell, are the fruits of the spirit. Peace, hope, love, meekness, kindness, humbleness, humbleness gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. Galatians 5. The first fruits of the spirit, though, I think, as he's talking about like a deposit. Remember, we read that in in the book of Ephesians. We had three episodes where we where we went through the book of uh, the book of Ephesians, and we talked about how when he when you when you were born again and you receive the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, it's like a deposit. It's like a guarantee that He's going to come back and complete the redemptive work. Because we've been saved, we've been delivered, we've been set free, we've been, but we haven't been, our bodies haven't been, we've been saint, we're being sanctified, we're being sanctified, but we, and we've been justified, but we haven't been glorified. The work of salvation, it's, it was complete before the world began. Worthy is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. But it's not actually complete in us just yet because our bodies haven't been glorified. I mean, it's not the the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So there's still something left to do. So this this just think God's spirit, the cre the creator of the world, his spirit lives in us. So there's so much more that we should be thinking, feeling and doing if the creative power of the universe is actually living inside of us. So we only have the first fruits of it. So there's so much more to look forward to. Which have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. So that's what I'm talking about. There's still something we're waiting for. We're waiting to get out of this flesh. We're waiting to get out of this skin. We're waiting to go to a city made with streets of gold where there is no more death. There is no more crying. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more sin. Okay. No more sickness. For we are saved by hope. Verse 24. We are saved by hope. If I didn't have the hope of the Lord, then what would be the point? I'm sorry. I'm not going to lie. But I don't think I'd even be still sitting here living if I didn't have any hope in Christ. If the God of hope was not with me, if I had nothing to look forward to, peace out, peace out. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, right? That's common sense. I shouldn't have to explain that. For hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, 
then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. So that's the thing is Paul saying sometimes, you know, people, how should I pray? What should my prayer life look like? Look, sometimes it's just a sentence. Sometimes it's just Jesus help me. Sometimes it's like talking to a friend. Lord, what that person said upset me. And you have a long talk with the Lord. Sometimes it's more formal. You get on your knees and you say, our Father God, Father God in heaven, uh, we come to you humbly in your precious son's name. You know, But sometimes you don't even know what you're supposed to be praying for. Because see, the Lord sees the end from the beginning. And he's not bound by time or space. So he can, and, and he knows our ways. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. He knows other people in the situation that we may be praying about. He knows what, what's up with them and, and what's up with their purpose and it's well for their life. And so he knows what we should pray for better than we do. I mean, sometimes we may, our, our prayer is so limited to, the way we're able to think and the way we're able to comprehend and imagine things. It's not just the fact that we might be in a lot of pain. We can't come up with the right words, but I think it's also due to the fact that like, for example, I have an issue in a with a relationship in my life and it's something that I'm not happy with, but I don't know how to fix it. And as a matter of fact, I don't even know how to pray about it. So I have to tell the Lord, I have to say, Lord, I'm going to turn this situation and this issue with this person over to you because I mean, in my limited scope of my brain, I want to say, well, Lord reveal to this person, my true intentions and that I would never say this or do this or be this way, help them to understand. Maybe that's not what needs to be done. That's what I'm saying. Maybe that's not how it needs to be worked out. He knows. So we let him handle it. But it says, likewise, the spirit also helps our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Remember, he's saying cannot be uttered. So we're not talking about babblings, the babbling on that you hear some, some things, some people do that's, that's being uttered. That's an utterance that is an, in itself is an utterance. So that's not what he's speaking about. When you just start blurting off some babble that, think of the Tower of Babel, confusion. When you just start blabbing off some babbling things, those aren't groanings, for one. A groaning is a, excuse me for a minute. Oh, oh that's a groaning. <laughs> but even that was an utter, even, even that I uttered it. Okay, so he's saying with groanings, which cannot be uttered, uttered, it's an utterance on the inside that maybe you can feel, but, but it's that you don't hear or say, okay, because the spirit is invisible, the spirit is invisible, but the spirit itself makes intercession for us. So we've got the spirit making intercession for us, and then Jesus is on the right hand of the father. Make an intercession for us. He's our great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> the Spirit's got my back and Jesus has got my back? Wait. All right. Let me find out. 27. And he that searches the hearts knows what the mind, what is the mind of the Spirit. 
because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's another thing is what I was saying. We don't know what we should pray for because we don't know the will of God. We don't know the will of God. How can you know the will of God for someone else? And really even for yourself, sometimes it's hard to know it for yourself. But let's say, for example, like I said, I have a situation with this person in my life that I'd like to resolve, but I don't really know how to do it. Well, what's the will of God for that person's life? Maybe it's not God's will for me to be in their life. I mean, I'm not for everyone. I don't know. But the spirit knows the will of God because the spirit's with God, right? So the spirit makes intercession for us. He, you know, the Lord searches our hearts and knows what the mind of the spirit is. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So think of that. Think about that. What, is, what does John say? If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So the spirit's going to make sure he does that. He's going to make sure he asks according to the will of God. And if he's praying for us, if the spirit is making intercession for us in exact alignment with the will of God, mm, that's something right there that can't be, that cannot be stopped. That's something that you cannot come up against. That's something that you cannot come up. So nothing can, nothing can stand against that. Mm, that is, that is good right there. That is good right there. And so that brings in verse 28, Romans 8, 28. If you memorize something, memorize this verse. Y'all write this down. Verse 8, Romans 8, 28. I want you to be able to quote it. Whew. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and who are the called. No one ever says the. But it's there. Who, not who are called. Who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So God foreknew me, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. So God foreknew me and he predestinated me to be conformed like clay. He is conforming me to the image of his son. That is the whole goal. That's the end game for me. For me, my end game from the time I was born to the time I die, my end game goal is to be conformed to the image of God's son, period. It has nothing to do with how I raise my children what my husband turns out doing, how our marriage ends up, or what kind of car I get, job I get, the career that I have, the ministry that I might end up having, where I travel to and the parts of the world that I see. None of that means nothing. My end game is to be conformed to the image of God's son. That's it, period. That's what I was predestined to do. That is my destiny. My destiny, my destiny is to be conformed to the image of God's son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, so that Jesus could be the firstborn among many brethren. God wanted a family. God wanted a family. And Jesus is the first son of many, 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 many sons. And I have one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. Do y'all remember that song? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, turn around, sit down. That was so fun. Yeah. Okay. 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So I've so he foreknew me. He predestinated me to be conformed to the image of his son. And then he called me. Right? Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. Remember, I said a while ago, we're justified. We're being sanctified, but we're justified. Justified, people use this all, phrase all the time to define it, and I love it. It works. Let's not change what's not broke. Just as if I never did it. So in God's eyes, it's like I never sinned. Wow. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> it's just as if I've never done it. So God, in other words, that's that whole, he threw it in the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. So when I present myself to the Lord, it's just as if I had never sinned. I am justified in Christ. So moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So that's what we're waiting for is the glorification. The glorification part is what we're waiting for. 31, you might want to memorize this one as well. What shall we say then to these things? Hmm? So after I've said all of these things, what's left to be said? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? that pertain to life and godliness is i'll say that <laughs> 33 who shall lay anything to the charge of god's elect it is god that justifieth who is he that condemneth it is christ that died yea rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of god i said this while ago who is even at the right hand of god who also makes intercession for us. So I've got the Spirit making intercession for me according to the will of God. I've got Christ on the right hand of God making intercession for me. If God be for me, who can be against me? All things are working together for my good because I love God and I'm the called according to his purpose. This chapter is so full of power that I you can fight the devil off with just this chapter. If you would if you would get this chapter in your gut, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind and memorize it, chomp on it, chew it up, grind it up, swallow it, regurgitate it, spit it out and then eat it again. Sorry. <laughs> Here we I'm not sorry because it's getting good. I'm about to be done and this is getting good. So I'm going to back up again. Back up again because I got to preach this. 31. What shall we say to these things? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in 
all these things, memorize verse 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. In other words, I'm convinced you are not going to make me think any other way because I'm fully persuaded. I'm fully convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. I dropped my pen. So... So I'm going to leave you with this because the Lord's so good. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever through all generations. So I will cry out, sing praise, hallelujah, for I know the Lord is good. The Lord's good and he doeth good. So verse 8, 1 is a good one to memorize. So we're going to, I'm going to write that down for y'all. Verse 8, 1. And then y'all might want to do 8, 6. And then y'all might want to do... 814, 818, and Ed 828, of course, and 831. Yeah, those are some good memory verses. So if you want to, what I would recommend after this episode, and I don't know how long I went on, I've decided just to let the time limits, just let the time limits go. Cause especially when I'm doing Bible studies, I get into it and I don't want to stop in the middle of a chapter or I don't want to just talk 90 to nothing to try to get it all in. But thank you for listening. But what I recommend is to take those few verses that I mentioned there here at the end and Write them down in your journal every day this week until we have our next episode, which the next episode is likely going to be a new guest. I'll probably interviewing be interviewing a new guest. But until the next Bible study, just write those verses down. And when the enemy comes in at you, you know, when the enemy comes at you, just quote them. That's your sword. That is your sword. Quote them. And look, that, like I said in the beginning, when ministers make wisecracks about people that can quote scripture, haters going to hate. Okay, haters going to hate. For some reason, I have a photographic memory. So, like, for example, I can remember, I can, I memorize, like, I know a lot of our social security numbers and phone numbers and driver's license numbers, weird things like that. But so I'm very, I'm pretty good with memorizing scripture because my brain works that way. But like I say, I don't say it to brag. There's a thing about being able to, to quote it. It's your sword. It's your sword. You know, so, and there's a difference between, look, people don't need to be worrying about if you're living or not. Really, that's no one's business. That's your business. All right. So whether your sword is sharp or not, let's put it that way. Whether your sword is sharp or not is your business and your problem and not anyone else's. So I would say an unsharp sword would be someone who is, and I don't know who's out there doing this, but someone who's out there memorizing the Lord's word for sport and not living accordingly. Um, I'm not really sure that there's that many of those people out there doing that. 
But hey, more power to them. I don't see how you could read the word and then write the word down and memorize the word and say the word without it getting into your life somehow or another, especially if the word's alive. So it kind of doesn't make sense to me. But I say memorize the scripture. I say try to. Try to memorize it. Really, I think the Lord is, what's the word, flattered by it. But it's beneficial to you to be able to quote it because for one, it's going to bring it to your remembrance to to live it out. But for two, you're, it's, there's a difference between a person quoting an author or Shakespeare, for example. That's just, you know, expectation is the root of all heartache. That's William Shakespeare. I can quote that. Expectation is the root of all heartache. It's a very powerful quote if you think about it. You won't be let down if you don't expect much. But there's not a lot of power in that quote. But if you take a person who is living for God, right? A person who's living by the word of God, who has God's spirit in them, who's washed in the blood, and who's got God God's word in them taking root and growing and living in them. And then you speak that word that is not like Shakespeare words. You speaking a word that's living, that's alive, that can, can create worlds and things. There's a power in you being able to quote that scripture against the enemy that's coming against you. Trust me. All right. So I've taken a while. I'm going to close for now. I do very, very, very. Very much appreciate you guys listening and tuning in and studying Romans 8 with me. All right. You you guys are awesome. Please, if this has benefited you in any way, I would love your comments. Whether you comment on the YouTube channel, I think Spotify does comments. My Facebook page, comment. Give me some sort of feedback. If you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, it would really benefit me to have more subscribers, but it also benefits you because new episodes will pop up on your feed as they become available. And as always, if you've benefited from this at all, like I said, share it with your friends and let them know the truth about God's word. So until next time, this is Tanya Bruton with the Grit and Grace podcast. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.